thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. The Bible reading this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 35, reading verses 1 through to 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Good morning. Well, this morning we start our series entitled Joy Is, which kind of leads us into Christmas. And this is an opportunity for us to reflect on where our joy comes from, what joy actually is, dot, dot, dot. So would you join with me as I pray this morning before we get into it? Father God, we thank you that joy is found in you. And Father, I pray this morning, as we look at this passage and as we reflect on the theme of hope, Lord, that you'd speak to us, and Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us of your goodness. And Father, I pray you would be large and present in our thinking and in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, Joy is a five-year-old enjoying an ice cream on a summer's day. But when I dropped my soft serve ice cream with Cadbury's Flake on Bournemouth Beach, aged five, and discovered that sand makes a terrible alternative to chocolate sprinkles, I was not full of joy. I was in despair. And I almost hate to mention it again. My aim really isn't to bring politics into the pulpit this morning, but Trump's election disturbed me. It saddened me. And I felt a bit crushed. I spent most of the afternoon praying in the election result, watching each state come in, just praying that something might change, that I might be surprised. But then they called it, and Hillary threw in the towel. And I kind of felt like sexism and misogyny 
and the absence of reason had captured the hearts of majority America. For an hour or two, I was genuinely in despair. And I felt pretty similarly about Brexit. In my eyes, at least, this seemed to be a decision that was fueled by fear. A country in fear of being overrun by Islam or immigrants. Britain's decision to leave the European Union and the reasoning behind it for a time caused me to despair. And when I scrolled through my Twitter feed, as Mark mentioned during communion about um, reading the news from the city of Aleppo in Syria this week, seeing families coming to terms with the loss of loved ones because of indiscriminate airstrikes, I found myself in despair. And when you're in despair, being joyful is pretty hard. Hope has vanished like a vapor. It's like someone has stolen the jam from your donut or put sand on your ice cream. And for God's people in the time of Isaiah, life would have felt pretty similar. This book centers on Jerusalem, but through it we get glimpses of a world that was in increasing darkness and oppression. Tough times for God's chosen people in Judah and Israel, times of despair. And under a series of different kings, God's people suffer invasion after attack after invasion, almost to the point of extinction. This would have felt like a hopeless time for many, a hopeless time to be alive. They were desperate times. And it's into this context that Isaiah speaks. That's what the whole of this book is about. It's filled with Isaiah's vision to God's people. And in chapter 34 of Isaiah, the chapter before our reading today, we hear Isaiah speak a warning to the nations. And at first glance, there doesn't appear to be much hope here either. The words of this will appear on the screen. Come near, you nations, and listen. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that is in it, the world, and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all the nations. His wrath is on all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. The slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will stink. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. Here, there's judgment and horrific imagery. The language that some of us are used to because we've seen it in gruesome TV shows. And yet it's real, like watching the news. What's that I hear you say? Wow, Coleman, this is the most depressing sermon I have ever heard. Do you know what time of year it is? Have you even read the title of the sermon series? And you're right. All that I've spoken about so far this morning on its own, is depressing. Our world still faces the grim realities that those in the ancient Near East would have faced. Suffering, war, dictators. Isaiah's world was not that dissimilar to our own. And when we're left to consider all of this, we understandably feel a bit overwhelmed, tempted to despair. 
But with despair comes the potential for hope. The vacuum despair brings leaves room for us to respond differently, to respond with hope, to respond counterculturally, opposingly to the world. But our hope needs to be upheld. We need something to hope in. We need someone to place our hope in. So into the context of despair, into this darkness and desperation, judgment, oppression, comes Isaiah's vision in chapter 35. This is a brilliant shaft of light breaking through the clouds. I love what Barry Webb writes about this passage. Arid wastes bloom as the glory of the Lord comes down like refreshing showers, and the whole earth shouts for joy. It is a vision to steady trembling hands, strengthen weak knees, and lift fearful hearts. And the reason there's so much hope in Isaiah's vision is because God is at the heart of it. This vision of Isaiah was to remind the people of who God is, what God's character is like, and it does the same for us. And let's just take a quick look through this and highlight a few things that come out of this passage. In verse 2, we see that God is the creator. He brings creation out of the dust, and he does what humanity is unable to do, and he creates something from nothing. God is over all things. He is the beginning of all things. He is the maker of all things. And he fills our imagination, and then he goes beyond. And I find it really comforting that we cannot box God in. In verses 3 and 4, we see that God is protector and judge. The protector of his people. He steadies the knees of those in fear. I love that image. I'm reminded of the times when I would go um, to an exam and I'd find myself so nervous I had a bit of a shake on. And God comes into those situations and he breathes peace into them. He steadies our knees. But God is also the one who judges people who oppose God's people, people who oppose his people. And this is not a license for us to abuse the power that God has given us, as the church has done many times throughout history. And we need God's forgiveness for where this has happened. We need to be asking God's forgiveness for where we've been involved in that. But to recognize that we are participants in the plans and purposes of God And those plans will happen for his glory. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And when people live in opposition to God, there is ultimately judgment, justice. We can't have hope in a God that is not a just God. Verses 5 to 7 speak of God as healer, sight, Hearing and speech are restored to those who once lost them. 
Imagine that, being restored. I once woke up and I couldn't move my legs. I was in my early teens and I was going through a significant growth spurt. And for some reason, my hips had locked overnight. And it took half an hour before they freed up and I was able to get out of bed. But I was over the moon when I could get out of bed. Imagine the moment for people who for their whole lifetime, they have not been able to move their legs. Having that moment of them being restored, they would be far more elated than I was on that morning. And the final section of this passage invites us to recognize that God is our eternal prize. Heaven is a hard place to think about. The Bible doesn't tell us much about it, and much of what it does tell us about heaven is frankly rather weird. But this passage goes some way to help me think about heaven, to help me get a sense what heaven's about. And the way of holiness in verse 8 invited God's people and now us to recognize that there is a pathway to eternal life. There's a pathway to a life of eternity with God in heaven, a path that demands a choice from us. And this is a choice of whether or not we will continue to pursue holiness to pursue a life in opposition to pride and greed and selfish ambition or sexual sin. And this is a high calling from God. And the answer will inevitably be a repeated series of, yes, thank you, and please forgive me. And I have to keep praying and speaking these things every day. Yes, thank you, please forgive me. And the prize? A life where all of the despair that we feel about the things that we face in this world, the things that we read about on the news, are completely obliterated, gone, removed. The despair is gone. A life with God is a life of hope, a life of endless joy. Isaiah clung to hope. He clung to a vision that God had given him of something better. But ultimately, Isaiah laid his tightest grasp on who God is and what God does. Isaiah was able to hope because he clung to God. He believed in who God was and what God had done throughout history. And this is what faith is. Faith is not blind. I love Dallas Willard's definition of faith. Faith is a confidence grounded in a reality. We know who God is. We find him in the pages of the Bible. And we meet him in the person of Jesus. And yes, this was a vision of the future that Isaiah was clinging to. But God is this sort of God right now. He's been this sort of God for all of eternity. He is our creator. He is our protector. He's our judge, our healer, and he is our eternal prize. And when we lay hold of the truth of who God is, it has the power 
to radically transform the way that we live. The way that we live right now, today. Last week I passed a guy in Caring Bar for whom life looked pretty tough. We'll call him Rich. And Rich was on crutches and he had grazes on his face. And as I walked past him and got round the corner, I had this niggle inside, this sense that God was inviting me to go back and have a chat with him. And so I turned around and I did. And I asked Rich how he was going. And he started to cry. And through tears, he told me about his life. And it made me sad, and I felt for him. He told me of his despair. And as he continued, out of my mouth slipped the words, bless you. And then he stopped. And he looked me straight in the face. And he said, I believe in God too. I've messed up, although his language was a little more colorful. (laughs) And I just want to go home. And it was pretty clear to me that he was talking about heaven. And whatever was behind that comment, and he seemed pretty genuine to me. He didn't ask me for anything. I think Rich had caught a glimpse of God. He'd caught a glimpse of the truth that brings hope. And he longed for something better. He longed for a life of hope and peace and joy with God in heaven. But I think that God offers us far more than just a future hope. You see, the joy that we are reminded of at Christmas time, every time, that we celebrate Christmas, is that God came down and joined us in the dirt. Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us, is well with us. And this means that our God, our creator, our protector, our judge, our healer, our eternal prize is with us, is not some distant and dim reality, a God who is far off on a throne that we pay our respects to, but he is right here with us in the midst of all that we face. And this present reality, this Jesus transforms our hope. It makes hope immediate, and it turns despair into joy. You see, joy is not happiness. It's much deeper than that. Joy is a confident knowledge of where we place our hope, who we place our hope in. And who we place our hope in is God, creator, protector, judge, healer, eternal prize. And it means that we can experience joy even when we feel like we are failing in our walk with God. When we feel like we're falling short of whatever we think the standard might be. When we're tempted to despair every time we watch the news 
or we consume the news in whatever way we do that. And when God's restoration of particular situations just doesn't seem to be coming soon enough, because joy is in hope when hope is in God. I'm going to invite the band to join me back on the platform as I close. But as I close, I want to leave you with a question which you may not know the answer to. But do you know what I want for Christmas? I want to be part of a church where this means something. I want to be part of a community where our hearts are so fixed upon Jesus that joy explodes through everything that we put our hands to, everything that we're involved in, every part of our living. That when we are tempted to despair and we are tempted to shut down on the world around us, when we are tempted to not sing, to not express our joy and our gratitude for what God has done and who God is, when we are tempted to give up giving sacrificially, when we are tempted to not be generous, when we are tempted to not speak to that person that we don't recognize here on a Sunday, that we recognize that God is who he says he is, that the kingdom of God is not in trouble, that he is our creator, our protector, our judge, our healer. He is our eternal prize. And that when our hope is in God, then joy is in hope. Would you join with me as I pray? Father, we thank you that hope can only be found in you. And we thank you that that's pretty simple. And Father, I pray that this reality would transform our lives right now. Father, I pray that we would be people who are open to being transformed by that reality. Would you shape and change our hearts right now? Father, would you lead us into a life of joy that is secured by you and you alone, creator, protector, healer, judge, eternal prize. Thank you that you are all these things and more, that you go beyond our imagination. And would you transform our existence, we pray. Amen.